This is the Rehumanizing Project from Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston from the Good Morning Liberty podcast. The co-host Charlie and I had a great conversation with a guy named Brandon Means, a libertarian who has some great ideas, a very interesting story, and as you guessed it, actually cares about other people. Please listen. Listen to Brandon's story. Listen to his message. Listen to the things that have happened to him throughout his life, the things he has gone through, and all of the events that have led to the beliefs that he has. Born out west in California, Northern California, but at the time my dad had started computer software at the time. He he was recruited right out of college by, I think it was Xerox. They moved him to the East Coast, uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. So I was only in California for about six months. He got transferred about eight years later down to uh, just outside Atlanta. Gwinnett County, which is huge now. It was really backwoods at the time, but it's just blown up. Basically a big concrete jungle. Apart from that, you know, I did most of my growing up in in Atlanta in the South. So I consider myself, you know, from the South, which kind of drives my wife crazy because she's actually from Midwest, Minnesota. She spent a lot of time in Atlanta as well, but she she really doesn't claim to be from the South. She, She prefers the Midwest. Grew up there, did all my schooling there, Uh, you know, went to public middle school, high school, all that. Was never a great student. I I barely graduated just because I wasn't really interested. I would rather, you know, play Nintendo and play baseball and football with the kids in the the neighborhood and all that. So pretty, pretty limited coming out of high school. Didn't really have any college plans or anything. I did the, the least amount I could to get through through high school. I was one of the kids you would find asleep in the back of the class. Um, I, I I didn't uh, engage too much with uh, you know apart from the the few friends that I, I did have in the neighborhood. I, I just never really put forth any effort. I just didn't have the interest in the the topics. I don't know. You know, now that I think there were some classes I did engage in, uh, certainly some of the uh, math classes, you know, I got up into sort of like the higher algebra, you know, I didn't take any calculus or anything like that. But we did also have a a computer science course that we were actually, my little group of friends were the first uh, people to bring the AP computer science to my my high school. Uh, We started that class. I did fairly well and I passed it at least. um, And I was engaged in, you know, writing code and things like that. I uh, never went on to become a computer programmer, but, you know, th- those were the kinds of topics I was interested in. So, yeah, yeah, it's probably, uh, you know, if you had more things like that, that probably would have drove me to do more. Need something more challenging uh, then. Yeah. I was the exact same way, but we went to a really small town. So high school was just our high school. Nate and I went to the same one. It was just, it was just easy. They, they didn't, uh, there was no challenge. And I was the same way. There were a few classes like, you know, chemistry, because I like to do experiments and stuff like that. So that was fun. But other classes, yeah, I just, I slept right through. I remember the only class that I really struggled in mostly was because they required 
uh, reading. And at the time I wasn't a big reader. And so I got a D in that class. Yeah. I think that was also the time where we're really pushing the idea of uh, college prep for everybody. Um, yeah. I don't think they had it for everybody, but certainly that was what they were pushing. There were still some vocational uh, courses and things like that wood, wood shop and, and all. And I took a few of those and, and had fun in those courses, but um, no, it was definitely you were going to college afterward and if, if you weren't then you were going to be a, a low class you know laborer you know a lot of people are fine with that and i certainly would have been i i did spend a lot of time in scouts though that was something i was really interested in uh, boy scouts taught me a lot about taking care of personal interests you know being responsible things like that um even though i i didn't really translate that into school or anything um you know, did a lot of camping with friends, uh, had really tight knit group. But after that, you know, joined the air force for four years. Cause I didn't feel I had really had any other options, you know, wasn't interested in going to college and, you know, just had a high school job that I didn't really see going anywhere. So I figured that was a good option to at least get me out and, and have a, an income and a purpose. That uh, didn't end up becoming a career because, uh, you know, ran into some trouble with uh, uh, drinking and a couple things like that. You know, they kind of kind of frown on that when you get picked up by the police and mm-hmm. for being drunk and also. I had an, an issue on a base uh, one time where uh, we were playing music on the base, but we were in the Middle East and there weren't they weren't allowed to have any alcohol there whatsoever. Uh, needless to say, we were at a giant party one night. And on the base ended up one of the one of the soldiers was going to give us a ride back to where we were sleeping on the base because we didn't know where we were. And uh, he got pulled over for going over the speed limit on the base and uh, and then ended up getting kicked out of the military the, the yeah. next day. Yeah, that's so, pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, I felt terrible um, about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when that was. I think we were actually in a, sort of a, a contraction for the military. At the time when I ran into trouble, anyway, I don't know if that had been the same time you had your experience, but I think there was actually a drive to reduce the number of of people, at least in my branch, anyway. Um, so, so I didn't do myself any favors by giving them an excuse to, yeah. to try and do that. But, but fortunately, I was able to stay in and got my honorable discharge at the end of my term. So. What is your political ideology and, and what parts of these things that you've gone through in your life and all these experiences do you think led up to having this ideology? I am very much, I guess, uh, a personal person. I really just like to keep things myself and, and not rely on other people because, you know, I always find out people don't ever really do things to my satisfaction or the way I want to do them. So I just don't like, you know, meddling, I guess, is might be a good way to say it. So after I had all that experience in the, in the Air Force and, and I, you know, I met some people who taught me about educating myself, you know, I really started to, to read and learn things on my own. That's where I get, finally became interested in maybe going to college. Uh, you know, back in high school, I had no intention, but after I sort of realized I can learn things and, and there are 
broader topics out there for me to learn. I started really trying to trying to figure that out when I did get home uh, from the Air Force and you know, started going to school and and realized I can do things for myself. Even you know after the Boy Scout experience, you know doing things, trying to be a responsible leader and things like that. I, I really didn't. I, I really kind of was still looking for that comfort. Maybe that was maybe one reasons why I went into the Air Force as well because I knew the the military kind of they told you what to do and where to go, and they kind of you know even though I could be responsible, I still had someone there uh, giving me direction. And it was really after that, I kind of realized that I wanted to find my own direction. So you made the transition into libertarianism. When did that happen? Was that after the Air Force? I got home, you know, I just started, it, I guess it was mostly on my, my drives to work and driving around town would throw on the talk radio. And, you know, and actually that was, um, it was during one of the Clinton elections? No, no, no. It was uh, one of the Bush elections. I heard uh, a lot of conversation about, you know, Democrats stealing the election. It was one that went to the Supreme Court, I think. Um, so I started listening to talk radio. Uh, a guy named Neil Bortz uh, was the morning host on one of the one of the stations and started listening to him. And and he uh, he got me onto the uh, conservative spectrum anyway. I didn't necessarily have a defined political leaning at that point, but at least not a conscious one. Um, but he got me onto that. And so I figured I was a Republican, you know, conservative. And But it wasn't until he actually started, you know, dropping little leaks and hints about actual libertarianism, the idea of, of literal freedom, not just, you know, the conservative idea of freedom or the Republican idea of freedom uh, that I started, uh, you know, looking at, uh, what is that, uh, Verdict Bastiat, the, uh, wrote, what was it, The Law, I believe, and oh, a couple yeah. other. Oh, yeah, 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 and then just getting, uh, learning about other uh, ideas of freedom, can't think of any other, the, uh, any of the other literature out there on that, but started reading that and taking, and you know, actually reading the Constitution of the United States, right? Uh, how that was originally written and the ideas of limited government, which it actually defines in there, and you know, actually talking about the the rights that the government doesn't give you, but that you actually have, right? So, and it's it's kind of crazy the idea that people think today that the government gives us these rights it's not that they give us these rights it's that these rights are already guaranteed and and the government should be there to protect them so those kinds of ideas are the are the ones that really got me onto that train of thinking yeah, that was one of the more important things i think i ever heard and realized was that the constitution didn't give anyone any rights it simply recognized that human beings have these rights and that the government is going to be formed and they're going to make sure that no one takes those rights away from you yeah yeah it wasn't that the the you know people who wrote it sat down and said you know what we have this constitution but we also need to give people rights what what are those rights it wasn't no it's it's is i guess they saw that the government could grow into an entity that could start suppressing rights and they needed to clearly define what rights people had that can't be suppressed yeah and right in the beginning of the declaration of independence i mean it just spells it out right there um, and then it talks about to secure these rights. So it talks about having the rights to begin with and then to secure them that governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. But then right after that, Thomas Jefferson says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it. Yeah, it's, it's as plain as it could be. One of the arguments I hear, too, is you talk about, you know, it's in the Declaration of Independence. One of the things I hear and I don't know that I've ever followed up on is that, but 
people say, but but the Declaration of Independence isn't actually law, right? So you mm-hmm. can't call on that to justify any actions. Um, I don't know. It might be in the federal code somewhere, but I'm pretty sure it's the first federal code. Yeah. But um, it, it, to me, it gives you when you're trying to interpret what some of the the Bill of Rights and what the Constitution means. Uh, looking back to something like, okay, well, let's. Uh, this is what you think it means. Let's cross check that against this other document that these people wrote. You mm-hmm. know, and let's just see. Uh, would they have meant that it's this because they, you know, they they created the country based on these uh these little par- paragraphs right here. What's amazing right. is that this is all very short and easy to read, and you can sit down and read it. Well, easy to read in the sense that it's short. Uh, if you can get past all right. the, the Queen's English, then then um yeah. then that's then that's okay. But it's the Constitution is very short. I love how how short that you know article one. Yeah. I mean, you got it's, it's not horribly complex. <laughs> no. It's so it's so great that something that simple could do so much. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a paragraph or two for each for each thing. Yeah, and it's an example that things don't have to be horribly complex in order to get your meaning across. No, I mean, so. two thousand pages uh, for one for one idea is maybe uh, maybe we should cry. Maybe we should maybe have a two paragraphs. And if you can't sum it up in those two paragraphs, maybe you're trying to do way too much. You know. Yeah. <laughs> It does say to clarify here, it's uh, it's considered declarationism, mm. and that's a philosophy. And uh, the Declaration of Independence is the body of case law on level with the United States Constitution, and it holds that the Declaration is a natural law document, and so that natural law has a place within American jurisprudence. Hmm. It's prudence. Interesting. I'd actually never heard that before. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. That's that's interesting. We have a <laughs> a let's say a natural law um, within American jurisprudence that allows for the people to alter or abolish its own government. So after I got out of the Air Force, I started working for um, uh, Barnes Noble booksellers. I was with them for, for 12 or 13 years. And one of the things I learned about retail is, is it, just attracts everybody. It's, it's usually, you know, a means to get to some other end, but, but just about everybody from every walk of life comes into retail at some point. So, you know, the people I work with became the the people I hung out with, you know, after a shift, we'd, we'd go out to the, the bar, have some drinks and just get to know each other. A lot of us were going to school, but some of us were older, you know, in our 40s and had just made retail, you know, their career, which is great. A lot of great people. Um, But it was just every sort of walk of life, uh, you know, liberals, conservatives, um, gay people. I knew a a transgender person, you know, just all, all walks of life came together just to have an income, have, uh, you know, bring in some money. And when we all got to know each other and, and had a good time. And so we didn't, uh, you know, necessarily get into a lot of debates, but we certainly all had our own political leanings and, and philosophies. And we, we would talk about them and I never, uh, pushed too hard cause it's, cause it always seems I was on the, uh, you know, oppressive end of this 
of these ideas, you know, being a, a male and straight and white and, and, you know, even though you like a lot, most people, I don't think I ever had a whole lot of money growing up, but we certainly weren't poor. I think we were right smack in the middle of the middle class, um, which, which has a lot of privilege. So I, I tended to keep my mouth shut. I never really, um, you know, got in depth with, with my ideas. I always held back. Well, not always. Um, I think people knew I was, was for personal responsibility and freedom. And, and I never, uh, you know, in, endorsed taxation and things like that. But, um, that was always good. I always just tried to, you know, let people live their own lives and I never really tried to push my own agenda. Um, maybe I, I could have and converted a few more people to, to the ideas of freedom and liberty, but, uh, yeah, we all just enjoyed our own company. Never made it, you know, never made it really, too serious. And you never really saw those people as your enemy, did you? No, no, certainly not. Um, you know, like I said, we were all just, you know, it all came from the, from working at the, the bookstore. We were all just trying to make a living. And, uh, I don't know if it would, you know, it would have made things, you know, more difficult to work with each other or what, but no, we all just, uh, got along, had, uh, had good times, you know, it was always, uh, not a party, but you know, it was, yeah, we just enjoyed each other's company. We never had too much just serious disagreement. Do you see a, a stark difference between then versus now? Yeah, I don't know. I, I want to say it wouldn't be terribly different. Uh, maybe it would, uh, can only, I guess, compare, you know, the environment I'm in now, you know, I still have a, a fairly diverse group of people around me. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a couple people at my current job, you know, I'm not super close with any of these people, you know, um, I don't really have the, the friendship circle maybe that I had before, you know, now it's all about my wife and, and daughters and, and all that. But the, the people at work, they do all get along. Um, there are some diverse opinions in there. There are some people who are more politically active. Uh, it's mostly, I'd say left leaning, uh, but there are certainly some conservative people. I doubt there's anyone who's, uh, uh, you know, as for uh, libertarianism as I am, but uh, did you have a different work ethic than a lot of the people that you worked with? One of the things that I've, I've learned is actually not to compare people to myself, but you know, there are certainly good workers and bad workers and everybody has good days and bad, but I try not to, I know everybody comes from a different background. So I try not to compare everybody else's work ethic to mine. You know, I have lazy days too. I did learn to, uh, at the very least put forth, forth your best effort. And there are a lot of people that uh, particularly where I am now that don't put forth that effort. Part, part of it has to do with they're unionized and they have a guaranteed salary. Um, and there's, you know, seniority. And so people, they know that whether they do their job or not, they're still going to get paid. And it's one of those situations where, you know, it's, it's fairly difficult to get rid of someone, but I'm not part of the union. So I still put forth my, my best effort. And I got to say, even if I was, you know, I, I always feel I'd be one of those, those people that we really do value at work. You know, the ones you can always, rely on, on putting forth their best effort and you ask them to do, you know, something extra beyond their defined duties, you know, they'll go ahead and do it and, and try to give you the best. 
Is there a specific story? Did something specifically affect you in your life and what you wanted to do that kind of led you to libertarianism? Or was it just an ongoing uh, search for knowledge and the truth that kind of led you to where you are now? It was uh, it was more the just the philosophical idea, I think. It might be more the idea that I found it strange that people... I think would treat politics more as entertainment. This was also fairly close to the beginning of, uh, you know, 24 hour news coverage where you could devote an entire TV channel to saying the same thing over and over and over and over. And there was a particular person I worked with who was, was very left leaning during uh, one of the elections. You know, she was, and she knew I was. I don't think she ever realized I was totally libertarian because she always assumed I was voting for the Republican and she would come in and she's like, oh, do you hear what your guy said the other day? I'm like, wait a minute. He's not my guy. I don't like this guy as much as I like your guy. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm voting for the uh, the libertarian candidate. Um, I don't remember who that was at the time, but uh, it was it was those kinds of things. You know, it's just I couldn't really believe that there was so much entertainment value to politics, which was, you know, as far as I was concerned, a very serious thing. And, and people seemed to take it and take it lightly, but they didn't, I don't think they realized, you know, what they were doing to the whole political spectrum. And it probably always has been a, a popularity contest, you know, even back before 24 hour news coverage, you know, you know, people read their, their physical newspaper every day and, and read stories on that. Uh, but, uh, but I think I realized that that was, possibly what's hurting us more than anything else is we probably don't take it as seriously as we should and treat it more as a popularity contest who can have the more entertaining digs at the other person, that kind of thing. What what would you say to someone to explain to them why we should take it more seriously? Uh, because it, it is oppression, really. You know, it's, uh, you know, whatever agenda your party wants to push or you want to push uh right now everything seems to be taking rights and liberties away from people to give it to other people um and and eventually you know it does lead to complete oppression and it seems like you know we are going that way um even i'd say 10 15 years ago it would be you know crazy to think that we could end up living in a completely socialist society, but, you know, 10 to 15, 30 years from now, it could end up being that way. And, you know, neither Democrat or Republican is, is really trying to steer us away from that direction. Some people, when you say, well, we're going to end up living in the socialist society, there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, okay, awesome. And, yeah. and, and it, you know, when we think about that, we think about, um, Venezuela and Russia and, and China and, um, all, you know, we'll think about Pol Pot and we'll think about all the, all this stuff. Um, but everyone else, it, it seems like when you mentioned going to a socialist society, they, what we found is everyone thinks that as long as we put the right person in control and we have mm -hmm. the perfect people in control of the government, that we're never, we're not going to be like that. That Russia yeah. was like that because, uh, Stalin was so bad and China yeah. was like that because Mao was a terrible person. And, <laughs> and, you know, Pol Pot, he was just an evil murderous person. And, you know, Chavez was okay, but it's Maduro. He's an evil dictator. And, and, and so it seems like everyone 
thinks that as long as they're in control of the socialist mm -hmm. regime, everything's going to be fine, right? And it probably would be great for them. But I think what people also don't realize is there is almost a literal 50-50 split down the middle of of ideas in this country. And you're always going to be, or one side is always going to be oppressing the other side. And, and you're never going to have anywhere close to a complete agreement on everything, which is really what you know, that socialist society forces on people is this is, this is what we believe and you believe it or we jail you or kill you or whatever. It's always going to swing one direction to the other, right? I mean, it seems like every four, eight years it goes to the other side. And so no matter what uh, we enact, no matter what we force on people, it's the other person's always going to be in charge somewhere down the line. And would you say you're a libertarian because you're selfish and you want things for yourself or is it because you want you know the you want both because you talked about it being split basically down the middle which is true or do you want both of those sides to be able to have you know their own ideology and and and, and the liberty to practice what they believe without opposing their their beliefs on the other side mm -hmm. i would say you know i am a selfish person you know i go to work because i want yeah, you know, I want to have money to buy things for my family and, and buy my own food and buy my own shelter. Um, you know, it goes beyond those basic needs, but uh, you know, I want everybody to have the opportunity to do that for themselves. And if you, you need some assistance, you know, you'll be able to find it. Um, you just have to know where to go or, or have that, you know, local charity or church. Um, you know, we belong to a church and, and, Everyone at that church would be more than happy to help us uh, if we needed a hand. And I think we actually have gotten some help. You know, when we first got together, my wife and I didn't have the most money in the world. Um, but, you know, you don't have to belong to a church. It's just whatever community you live in, there, there's people willing to help. I, I liked your, your answer to it, which is that you think that makes you a... Uh, do you want libertarianism because you're just a... A selfish person, and I think when people think that, they think in the uh, the, the evil form right, of right. selfishness. And you're talking Greed, the greedy. You're talking more in the uh, the the Ayn Rand version of selfishness, which is that we are we are all yeah. selfish, uh, and we do want what what is best for us. But you also like, I mean, you don't you don't want to see anyone starving in the streets, and you want right. people to be able to have health care and everything, right? Like, yeah, no, I I did have someone uh, tell me once it wasn't. Um, because I did kind of get onto a political conversation, which I never do really. I always try to avoid those, but um, he brought up the idea that he, uh, he doesn't mind, you know, s s a corporate corporations out there. But what really drives him crazy is when people say, Oh, I have all this money and you can't have any, you know, I don't want taxation because I don't want you to have my money. I was like, well, okay, that's uh I don't, I don't know where to go with that. I'm certainly not that way. You know, I don't want, I don't mind helping people. I just, you know, would rather help the people I want to help and not be forced to help other people that, uh, you know, aren't really in my life or I have no idea who they are or what they're doing or, or whatever. You know, I just kind of want control over my own money, right? Give it to people who I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. You think libertarians have done a bad job marketing that idea? Like it's something we've tried to not, talk about which is um i mean 
we'll all say taxation is theft. And that's, and, and that's obviously something uh, that we like saying, but I try to not go along the lines of this is mine. You can't have it. Stop trying to take what's mine. I want it. It's mine. And, and it's not because that isn't true, but from the time that we're little kids, we're taught that that's a really bad idea to have about things. And, uh, and, and so we try to talk more along the lines of it's better for everyone. If everyone gets to keep what is theirs and then everyone will work towards gaining things that are theirs. And, and maybe if I gain more, I'm going to take care of uh, my mom and my friends and, and my family members and, and my community and, and, and all of that. And then, also, there's going to be other people inside of every single community that that will be able to to do that. So, like when you say, "I want to be able to help the people that I know or that are close to me," if I were like a, a leftist, I would say, "Well, you just don't care about people other than the people that are that are close to you." But there's a whole world out there, and there's billions of people, and and you only care about these people, and you don't care about the livelihoods of anyone else. I think that's a bit of a marketing problem on libertarianism. Yeah, it, it's a hard concept to get across that you care about somebody, but you're not, you know, willing to donate your own money to their cause because you're just trying to help your own situation. Uh, that's it's a hard idea to cross uh, to get across that that you really do care about people, but you're not willing to help them. It does sound kind of bad that you're not willing to help people who are in need. If you're on a plane with someone that you care about and you lose cabin pressure, you don't care about them by making sure that they get their mask on first because then you might be dead. And so the best thing to do is to get your mask on first, mm-hmm. which is which I think is what we're all trying to do is to get our mask on so we can help other people. And that's, uh, you know, one of the big problems, you know, with libertarians, you know, running for president when they're asked about like foreign aid, you know, they want to cut foreign aid. Well, you know, it's because we have so many issues here ourselves with, you know, yeah, you know, our own social problems from homelessness to drug addiction and, and everything like that. Uh, we can certainly, you know, put our own money to good use right here. And it's not that we don't care about, you know, people in other countries starving, but, um, you know, we have such a hole here ourselves to fill. It's, it's hard to, I think, justify, you know, all that money the you know, billions of dollars uh you know going going elsewhere to help other people governments that aren't adaptable are doomed to fail because governments that don't change with time don't change with the people because people change you know we change at an ever increasing rate you know with our technology and things like that you know one of the things we always talk about is you know the, the founders couldn't have ever dreamed of the internet you know and information traveling so quickly throughout the entire world but that's the point you know they couldn't predict that so they set up or they tried to set up a government that could change you know would give us a way to change our constitution which we've done several times uh so it's it's adaptability you know um i I said, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not, you know, I do appreciate having a government uh, to settle disputes, to, you know, give us general guidelines for health and safety, you know, help us with sanitation. You know, a lot of those things can be privatized um, and are in, in many places. But, you know, having a government is a good thing, um, but it just needs to not be so rigid and not, uh, you know, be so forceful. Uh, it needs to be able to to change over time.
do you think that's more an argument for subjective idea of what a government can do or more an argument for uh, more local governance because they can change with the people? I think easily? certainly more local governance uh, because, you know, people in North Dakota have different needs than people in South Georgia. Actually, those are two pretty remote areas, so they actually might be fairly similar. But, you know, certainly people, uh, yeah, no you know, certainly people in, uh, you know, inner cities have different needs than people in rural areas. Uh, so they don't need the, you know, the federal government to come in and say, you know, we have to have. There's not a one size fits all yeah. solution for, yeah. No, for there's the, not. And I think you know, the founders understood that. But yes, that's why they set up the government, why they did. And, and really, the federal government was supposed to be a list of enumerated powers. It was the things that made the the separate sovereign states stronger together, like a military or settling, uh, you know, foreign um, um, commerce or or treaties or different things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and in that time, I mean, they needed a king, so to speak, right, to, to be a foreign diplomat. Um, and to have, let, let's say, power and, and uh, a person on the world stage. Um, but they were very specific in saying uh, the federal government is only for these specific things. And, you know, North Carolina can do what North Carolina wants to do. And Virginia can do what Virginia wants to do. Uh, but we need to come together on these very specific things. And then from there, it's just, you know, ballooned into all these things. I think the founders were more libertarian than they are, say, Republicans these days, Republicans? Certainly, yeah, because, um, you know, most of them were, you know, sort of businessmen, you know, looking to to skirt oppressive taxation, right, and found it terribly oppressive. So, yeah, I think they were looking for a lot less government or a lot less tyranny anyway. Are those things the same? Uh, Yeah, no, I, I certainly think they were far more libertarian than um than people give them credit for and if you really wanted to uh you know use use them to support your own ideas then you have to realize that they probably wouldn't have supported your ideas you know if you're certainly trying to uh uh, introduce more government and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that's something I feel like the Republican Party is kind of skewed from is a, basically just paying lip service to the Constitution all the time and the Founding Fathers have, without realizing that if Thomas Jefferson came back, he would take care of all the Republicans <laughs> too. And uh, I'm not saying that that's what should be done. I'm no, just no, no, that's, certainly not. Uh, that's, um, I don't think he would, although he would did, find him as not oppressive. Although I did do think you said it was our duty to do that. Uh, he did say it's a duty. I'm saying what he might do. Right. The point of this podcast is to point out the fact that we're all human beings who've had our different life experiences and that even though we have different ideologies, more than likely people on the left don't want 100 million people to starve to death. Mm-hmm. And more than likely people who are libertarians don't want everyone who is poor to to uh, starve and be homeless and not have health care. And so if you're talking to someone who's on the left, what would you tell them to make them not want to burn down their house, your house when they're going down the line. Um, what should they know about you and your philosophy that, so that would get them to, to not want to do that? I don't know. It sounds like they're uh, pretty crazy and, and, <laughs> and wouldn't listen to me anyway, but yeah, um, yeah. they even attacked Rand Paul <laughs> about Rihanna Taylor when he's the one that introduced the Rihanna Taylor act. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just, uh, personal freedom to, um, be who are, you know, that's, that's 
what we support the most is just libertarianism and personal responsibility is the best way for everyone to supply their own needs. You know, it's the best way for you to find your own job, your best way to make your own money, your best way to find charity. It's it's the personal responsibility. It's it's scary not having the safety net sometimes, but uh, you know, I think people will find if your government isn't you know taking away your stuff and your money, then it's there for you to provide for your family and those around you and your communities. And when you do have a surplus you can help people further away from you. You can help people in the next town, in the next state. You can send money overseas if that's your thing. But to supply your own uh, income and security is, you know, you know you know how to take care of yourself. You just have the freedom to do it. That rehumanizing is a big, big thing too. Uh, one of, you know, the thing we do these days in the media, social media, which I avoid but um is is we do dehumanize people we don't take people seriously we don't realize that when somebody says something tells you their ideas they really mean it they believe it and they and they don't just and that idea didn't just come to them they came to that idea through their growing up through who their parents were through their social circles it's it's they they came to that idea legitimately whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, it doesn't really matter. They believe it, and, and we need to approach people at that point and realize that they're not just going to change their idea because we tell them it's stupid. Yeah, I mean, they have that idea, and they think, you know, they're trying to think along the same lines. How can I help all of these people, or how can I make society the most prosperous for the most amount of people? And they've landed through all of their their experiences on this being the solution to that problem mm-hmm. and they probably put a little bit of thought into it maybe not enough but they probably put a little bit of thought into it and and um we we run a website called bernielies.com and even when we talk about bernie i've said several times i don't think bernie wants 100 million people to starve to death in no. a, in, the, in a famine like i don't think that's his goal we can say maybe if you're on the, the right wing, you can say he just he's a vicious communist who wants to kill a hundred million people. I don't I think that's ridiculous. I don't think that's what it is. I think he truly thinks this is the best way to help the most amount of people. And even though I see him extremely misguided and his hatred for for people at mm-hmm. the top or whatever, um, he truly believes it for a reason. And what you know what so what i want to get across is people who follow him or follow aoc or whoever they do truly believe that for some reason so i like i don't want to i don't want to go harm them in some kind of a way because that you're all you're just a sum of all the things that have happened to you in your life right and and so we are too and so what i would like to get across is that neither one of us should want to kill each other no <laughs> right now <laughs> guys enjoyed this episode of the rehumanizing project from good morning liberty please hit subscribe there will be a new episode every sunday 
when we want to. And of course, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. You can get this episode on Friday instead of Sunday and join our podcast live every single day of the week. Until next time, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.